So yeah, we'll be in Exodus chapter 16. And we'll go ahead and we'll jump right on into chap, uh, verse 1 of Exodus 16. It says, And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So we see here in verse 1 that they have left Elim, which if you remember from our study in chapter 15, Elim was a place with 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they spent some time there camping by the waters. Uh, It was a resting time for the Hebrews after a time of testing. Now, Now they have come to the wilderness of Sin, actually pronounced as Sin in the Hebrew. So don't confuse it with our English word Sin as it is written here. This place Sin was somewhere in between Elim where they rested and Sinai where they were headed to. But even though the name of this wilderness had nothing to do with sin, it sure will seem like that's what the children of Israel would do next here. Because verse 2 tells us, Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So you know, right about this time, it's very easy for you and me, if we think about it, to say, Can you believe these people, right? Why after all that God has done for them, why in the world would they be now complaining in this way, right? Because we've studied, we've seen that He has set them free from bondage. He's set them free from the enemy that pursued after them, right? Provided a covering for them by day and by night, but yet they still have the audacity to grumble and to complain. But in reality, I think if we're all honest here today, we still find ourselves coming to this place from time to time in our own lives, don't we? Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has set us free. And by His Spirit, He indwells us. And He has told us in His Word that we are to to walk by faith, but yet we still find reasons to grumble and complain. And also, if we're honest, we really should recognize that this type of behavior is not right. This type of behavior is sin in our lives, right? We really should try to grow, to to mature in the Lord to a place where we not only know, but we live like His hand is upon our lives, right? And we walk by faith and not by sight. We trust in the Lord come what may. Remember, it's, the Bible tells us that it's faith that pleases God. And it's in times of testing, times of lack, that we actually grow. And we learn to persevere in the Lord. So instead of grumbling and complaining, when, when we are mature in the Lord, we learn to count it all joy when we suffer various trials and tribulations because we get to see God's hand of faithfulness, and we get to see His work in our lives, right? But it's a growth process, and we must remain focused 
on growing up in the Lord. But the children of Israel proceed on with their complaining here. In verse 3 it says, And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're looking back here. They're looking back in time and they're thinking that those were the good old days, right? They had pots full of meat and all the bread you could eat. So they're forgetting though the bondage that they were under. They're forgetting the backbreaking work of slavery. They're forgetting the way that Pharaoh treated them. Right? They're on their way to the promised land, a, a, a land that, that God will give to them as his people, a land flowing with milk and honey, meaning that it's a, it's a land of plenty. It's a fertile land. But all they think about right now is having their bellies full of meat and their bellies full of bread. They're willing to, to throw away that which God gives. All the goodness that God has for them in their future, they would throw it all away for the temporary satisfaction of the good food that was back in Egypt. Does this sound familiar though? Are there people on the earth today like this, people that choose the temporary over the eternal. People that just want what they want now and they'll sacrifice eternity in heaven in order to go after it, in order to have it. They'll just daydream about it like, oh, if I could just have this again or oh, if I could just have that, right? And the truth is, is that the majority of the people on the face of the earth today are like that but it should not be you and me. It should not be the way people of faith live, right? But God in his love and kindness and his long suffering, he's gonna have mercy on them here. And verse four says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So now we see the word bread here in verse four. The Hebrew word is lekom. And that Hebrew word is used 297 times in the Old Testament. 237 of those times it's used for the word bread. But 21 times it simply, applies, it simply speaks of food, that same word that we see used here as bread, the word lekum. It's used 20 other, 21 other times and just simply speaks of food in general. 18 times it speaks of meat. Five times it's translated as loaves. 10 times it's translated as showbread. Two times as victuals and one time each as a feast, fruit, and provision. Now, I tell you all that it's just so that you can get the picture here that this food that God is providing for them is not necessarily bread. It's not bread as we know it today, okay, as we picture it. You can't picture loaves of bread falling down from heaven on them, right? And as we go on here, you'll see what I mean. But the bottom line here is that God is feeding them. 
when they were hungry. Okay? That's the thing to realize. They have a need, and God is supplying their needs for them as His people. But let's keep reading verse 5. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so that this just simply means exactly what it says here. On the sixth day, they were to gather twice the amount of God's provision as they did on the other five days of the week. As we read on, all the blanks will we'll fill in here. Verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for He hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? So in verse 6 and halfway through verse 7 here, it records Moses and Aaron telling the people that they will know for sure that the hand of the Lord had brought them out of Egypt. Again, it seems pretty clear to us as outsiders, right, reading in that the Lord is at work, but the children of Israel are in the midst of a major event in their lives. It's easy for us to read this and know the story and look into it, but they're in the middle of it, right? So they don't quite see it the way we do as we read this. They, they didn't see it that way, okay? But we will see as we read on that they will indeed see some amazing things the Lord will do, including seeing the glory of the Lord with their eyes, but interestingly here, Moses and Aaron are kind of rebuking them for grumbling and complaining to them because Moses and Aaron realize that they are nothing without God and there is nothing that they can do to help this situation except go to God themselves, right? In verse 8 here, Moses is going to explain a little further what he means here and he says, also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against Him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. You know, verse 8 here reminds me of something that we see in the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 12. And I'd like for you to go ahead and mark this page and turn to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 12. It's the first book in the New Testament. And as you're finding that, just to remind you what we're seeing here in Exodus uh, chapter 16 is the people are grumbling and complaining, right? And Moses is telling them that, you know, it's not only him and Aaron that are hearing their complaints, but the Lord God is hearing what they're saying as well. Their grumbling and complaining is actually against the Lord God. And if we look at Matthew chapter 12, and we go down to verse 32, so Matthew 12, 32, we see that it says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So now listen, Jesus said that the work of the Holy Spirit would be to testify of him. That's what it says in John chapter 15, verse 26, that the work of the Holy Spirit would be to testify of him. The Holy Spirit, even until this very day, does the work of testifying of Jesus Christ. People today will hear this in one of many ways, right? Maybe they'll hear it through the television, on the radio, in printed materials, preferably the Word of God, or they will hear the testimony of Jesus through a servant of the Lord who shares his testimony or her testimony with them. But all of this testifying, of the Lord Jesus, in whatever form it appears, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said so. The Holy Spirit would testify of him. Now, when the Spirit of the Lord testifies of Jesus, the person on the receiving end, right, they will either receive in their heart the testimony of Jesus and proclaim with their mouths that they have received it. Romans 10.10 says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the person will receive it in that manner, or a person will reject it. They'll reject the testimony of the Lord by the Spirit, and their sins will not be forgiven them. Okay? So they, so they are either going to remain in sin, or be forgiven of their sin. And Jesus goes on to explain this in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So again, this is pretty simple. You can, e- you can easily tell who has received the testimony of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, and who has not received it, okay? Jesus is speaking to a group of religious people here, and he goes on in verse 34 and says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So in Exodus chapter 16, Moses is assuring them, that him and Aaron are not the only ones that are hearing their grumbling and complaining. And Jesus here reaffirms that what comes out of your mouth matters. And what comes out of your mouth is evidence as to whether or not you have the Holy Spirit within you. This is a a sobering thought. I'm presenting to you all this morning, but nonetheless, it is the Word of God, and we must take it to heart, okay? So as we flip back to Exodus chapter 16, 
This is what's taking place. They're grumbling and complaining. And Moses is saying, Moses and Aaron are telling them, it's not against us you're doing this. This is against God you're doing this. And then picking it up in verse 9, then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to, the, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Okay, so here they are now seeing the glory of the Lord with their eyes. I can't tell you what they looked at, and nor can anyone else, right? But this is indeed something that they are seeing. You know, after uh, the, the last study we did in chapter 15, right, the comment was made about the children of Israel, how they, they, they get to see with their eyes. We talked about it after the last study, how they get to see with their eyes the, the work of the Lord. But it's not really like that for us today, right? Sure, there are things that people have seen God do. I don't doubt that because I've seen his hand at work myself, but it's usually after I go through a time of testing, then I see by faith, not usually by sight, what the Lord has done, right? And I know I mentioned this a lot, but we are not called in Jesus Christ today to be a people of sight. We are called to be people who walk by faith. Right? Our march to the promised land, because we're going to a promised land as well, but our march to, to the promised land is not a visual thing. It is instead trusting in the Lord no matter what we see with our eyes or what we hear with our ears, we trust in the Lord no matter what. If when we looked a few moments ago at um, Matthew chapter 12, if I would have read on a little bit further, we would have seen where Jesus said that it is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. He said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So in other words, Jesus was saying that it's not about what you see with your eyes, but rather it's all about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all that matters is that we place our faith in Him, right? and that we place our lives today into the hands of the risen Lord, and that we walk through this life by faith, right? Not by what we see or what we don't see, but we walk through this life by faith in Jesus Christ. And we allow His Holy Spirit who indwells us to lead and to guide us through this life. And there will be times of testing as we're seeing with the children of Israel. But there also will be times of resting. And there'll be time of growth in our lives, right? The people of Jesus' day were asking Him for a sign, but He let them know that they weren't going to get a sign other than his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And today, again, we walk by faith in that. Let's read on verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. So it is real evident here that the meat that God provided for them was all of these quails that covered the camp. But what does this dew that lay all around the camp have to do with the bread, right, that the Lord was going to provide for them? Because that's all we see so far right here is that There were quail, which was the meat, and then there was this dew. Well, verse 14 goes on to explain. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. Wow, so this substance that was left on the ground after the dew was very, very small, very, very thin, okay? It was like thin pizza crusts, maybe, right? But I've never had it this thin as this layer of frost on the ground here, okay? Very small, okay? Verse 15 says, So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So a couple of things here about verse 15. For one, when you see that phrase, what is it there in verse 15, that is the Hebrew word man, M-A-N, man. Okay, so that's what came out of the mouth of the people when they saw it, man, right? Moses tells them that this is the Lord's provision for them, translated here as bread. Again, not bread as we know it. We don't see bread that fine, that thin, that small like that. It's not loaves of bread falling from the sky onto the ground. Okay, verse 16, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's needs. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So one omer is about three pints. So they were to get three pints per person that was in their tent. Right? They were only to take that amount each day, only as much as they needed. Okay? Now, let me remind you of something that I read but did not comment on. Look back at, at, uh, for a moment at verse 4 of chapter 16 here. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So the Lord was 
establishing a daily quota here for this pro- provision of this bread okay, from heaven. He was going to test them and see, see if they were going to obey what he said or not. Would they listen to and, and do exactly what he said or would they take it upon themselves to do whatever they wanted? So again, this is a test. What did the Lord tell them to do? Well, let's read on. Verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So that's pretty clear, right? Take only what you need. Verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. In other words, the number of people that was in their tent. So, so, so far, so good, right? It seems at this point that they all did what they were supposed to do according to the law, or according to the word of the Lord. This is what God said to do. But the explanation of Moses still goes on here in verse 19, and it says, And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So now we know, don't we, that Moses was, we we know that Moses was the mouthpiece of the Lord, right? This is the way that God spoke to his children in that day, right? Was through Moses. But here we see that they didn't quite do exactly what they were supposed to do. It seems they got a little greedy, a little self-centered. You know, in the early days of the church, when the Holy Spirit first descended upon a group of believers that were in an upper room in Jerusalem, about 120 of them were gathered there, and they were believers in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. You can read about that in the book of Acts. These people were changed at that point, and they began to live their lives in a very different manner than what they used to live. We're told in the book of Acts chapter 4 that they did not say that any of the things they possessed was their own, but they had all things in common, common, and that grace was upon them all, and that there was not anyone among them who lacked. That was the early church. That was the way they lived. And in Acts chapter 2, it also says of the early believers that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness, it says, and simplicity of heart, 
praising God and having favor with all the people that was around them because of the way they lived. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. This is what we're told of the early church, the early believers in Jesus Christ. Right? And when I think about that early church, it makes me wonder, where is the body of Christ today? And it's no wonder that we don't see much working of the Holy Spirit today. Maybe it's because we've become too self-centered, gathering too much for ourselves rather than just living on what we need and being satisfied and being content and sharing with others, right? It's just something to think about. But nonetheless, this is the direction of the Lord here to the children of Israel. And Moses was angry when they became greedy. Verse 21 continues speaking of the provision of God and says, So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that they had to rise up early and work if they wanted to eat. They had to go out and gather it. There was no welfare system in place, right? If you didn't get up and go do something, you didn't eat. And the food would be gone as, as soon as it warmed up outside. As soon as the sun hits the frost in the morning, right? It's usually gone pretty quick when we have frost on the ground. And as soon as the sun hits that, it's usually gone. And this was the case here with this bread, And so it was, verse 22, on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat today, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. So, Go ahead and mark this page again and turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. So they weren't supposed to work on the seventh day. And I'm going to give a little explanation here. They they weren't supposed to work on the seventh day. On the sixth day, they were to gather what they needed For the seventh day, for the seventh day was for them a day of rest. The Lord God commanded the children of Israel to keep the Sabbath. Now the Hebrew word for Sabbath is the word sabbat, right? Which means to rest or to stop or to cease from work. Shabbat, that's what that means. To rest, to stop, or to cease from work. This isn't the first time we've seen a Sabbath in the Old Testament. We saw it first at creation, 
Not the word itself, but the principle of Sabbath. Genesis 2.2 tells us that after creation, God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he made. That's a Sabbath. Again, Sabbat is a word that simply means to rest, to stop, to cease from work. We'll see when we get to Exodus chapter 20 that God will give his children, the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment is the one that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Sabbath, the Sabbath was established so the people would rest from their labors only to begin again after a one-day rest. Now, as you continue to read through the Bible from this point in Exodus, you will find that there is the establishment of the Old Testament law. The law would make it so that the Jews were constantly working or striving to make themselves acceptable in the sight of God. They were doing physical things to try and make themselves acceptable in the eyes of God. They tried and tried to be obedient to a bunch of do's and don'ts that were contained in the ceremonial law, right? The temple law, the civil law and such. The end result was that they couldn't keep all those laws to the point of perfection. So then the Lord God provided for them various sin offerings and sacrifices so they could come to him for forgiveness and reestablish fellowship with him through these sacrifices. But this reestablished Fellowship with God through the keeping of the law or through sacrifices was only temporary. And you see, here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, speaking of the law, it tells us that the law, it says that for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So that was the problem, you see. No matter how many times they offered sacrifice to God, they were still sinners. But these sacrifices were offered in anticipation of the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 12 here. Speaking of Jesus, it says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So do you see that? Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins forever. One sacrifice for all time. A person today does not need to try to work themselves into a righteous standing in the eyes of God. Jesus is our Sabbath. Okay, He is our rest. There is no law, no sacrifices today that make a person righteous in the sight of God. What we are reading about here in the Old Testament is what God established with the children of Israel. But as we saw in Hebrews 10:1, the Old Testament sacrifices were just a shadow of the good things to come. 
Not the very image of the things, just a shadow of the good things to come. The very image, the good thing that was to come was Jesus Christ. And after Jesus offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice, he sat down and he rested. He ceased from his labor. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Because of what he did, we no longer have to labor in law-keeping in order to be good in the sight of God. Now, when I speak of law-keeping, I'm not talking about our civil law. Yes, we are to obey the laws of the United States, the laws of our state itself, the laws of the road, and yes, of course, we obey all these laws, but we're talking about a law that tries to make us holy before God or make us righteous before God or acceptable to God. We can't do it, so Jesus did it. Jesus did it, right? Jesus was sent so that we might rest in God and in what God has provided for us. Now, there's a much deeper study that can be done on this whole topic of the Sabbath. And maybe someday I'll find the time to put together that kind of study. But when we gather like this, I really just want to to whet your appetite, as they say. I want to whet your appetite for the Word of God. As I've mentioned many times before, our one hour a week gatherings like this cannot be our only source of feeding on the Word of God, right? We need to study it ourselves, and we need to grow, and we need to seek the Lord ourselves in our personal lives and in our homes and such, right? There's so much to be learned when we are, so much more than we're able to cover on in the period of time that we have on Sunday mornings like this. So please dig deeper into the Word of God. But let's turn back to Exodus chapter 16. Again, we see the establishing of the Sabbath day rest between God and the children of Israel. That was for that time. It was only a shadow of the good things to come. All the law that we'll read about that will go on to be established It was just a shadow. Jesus was the fulfillment of it all. And then picking it up in verse 27, now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Now, what, what does that tell you about human nature right there, right? God already told them through Moses not to do that, but they went out and they did it anyway. Right, and uh, it's it's greed again. And remember this. Remember this is a test. Are you going to obey the law of the Lord? Are you going to do what the Lord says, or are you not going to do what the Lord says? Verse twenty-eight. And the Lord said to Moses, "How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, He gives you on the sixth day bread for two days." Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So you see, the Lord was serious about this. His word is his word. What he says he means and what he means is what he says. There is no difference for you and me today who are not under the law but who are in Christ. There are things written in the New Testament for you and me to, to live by, to be doers of the work and not hearers only. 
Time and time again, you'll see as we study the children of Israel that there will be times of obedience and times of disobedience. But in Christ today, all who come to him, whether Jew or Gentile, are to die to themselves, to take up the cross and to follow after him, living not for our own will, but for his will. Today, you and I are to be in Christ and to be led by his Holy Spirit. We don't work to be saved, but we work because we are saved. And that's, that's a key thing. We don't work to get saved, but we work because we are saved. We, we do what His Spirit leads us to do. We are to be trees that produce fruit. And we are then known by that fruit that we produce. Yes, Jesus is the fulfillment for all the world. Again, whether Jew or Gentile. But just as the children of Israel were, be to, were to be obedient to the law, we today are to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ. Not doing good works to be saved, but again, doing good works because we are saved and because we are in Christ. And then getting back now on the topic of this substance that was on the ground for the children of Israel, verse 31 says, And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So it was like coriander seed, meaning it was very small, but it was very good tasting. We saw back in verse 14 that it was very small there, didn't we? Also in verse 23, we see that it was uh, something that they baked, okay? But verse 32 here says, Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it before the Lord to be kept for your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it before the testimony to be kept. So what we're seeing in those last three verses there is that they kept some of this manna in what they called the testimony which we will later know of as the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And they kept some of this manna in that. You can go to Hebrews chapter 9 and read about the reestablishing of, or excuse me, the establishing of the tabernacle. And in Hebrews chapter 9, it states that the manna was in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? They're calling it the testimony here. The manna did not spoil and it would go down in history as a testimony of what God did for them in their travels through the wilderness. So they kept some of that. Verse 35, And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an epoch. So they ate manna for forty years until they came to the inhabited land of Canaan. Once they got to this inhabited land, it was no more free food for them, right? They had to get back to being a hard-working people. 
which after all those years of slavery, they were no strangers to hard work. But God would provide for them all the way through the wilderness. He would provide for them. They would be required to go on and keep the law and to offer sacrifices like I mentioned earlier. But the law and the sacrifices have been fulfilled now in Jesus Christ. Again, today, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We rest in Him. We trust in Him. Our hope is in Him. He is the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. The manna, as the children of Israel got it, the manna was small, representing humility. Jesus humbled himself, and though he was God, he became of no reputation. The manna was round, a circle which can remind us of eternity, having no beginning and no ending. The manna was white, representing purity. Jesus was pure in that he remained without sin. 1 Peter 1.19 tells us that Jesus was a lamb without blemish and without spot. The manna was sweet. Psalm 34.8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are thy words, unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Jesus, speaking of himself, said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. So we have to keep in mind that as we're going through the Old Testament, we're seeing what God did in the lives of the children of Israel. And these things are written for our learning. Because we can look at it, and just like we did today, we can break it apart, and we can study it, and we can grow from it, and we can learn from from it how we should live and how we should not live. But we don't have to keep the law anymore. It's not about the law anymore. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in Him and being obedient to Him. Yes, again, there are works for us to do, but we do them because we are saved because we have Christ in us, because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we testify of Jesus Christ. And the way we live our lives testifies to others around us that we are Christians, that we are saved, and that we live for Jesus Christ. But yet a lot of people have looked at Christ today, and they, they see all the various religions that name His name. And they want nothing to do with the religions, but they don't know how sweet it is to know the Lord, to know Him personally, to to seek Him themselves, to have His Holy Spirit indwelling them. He is the bread of life. He is the one that will satisfy their souls. And we know Him, and we must live like we know Him, and we must show Him to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather like this as believers in your name. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we will just continue to seek you, continue to grow in the knowledge of you, Lord, that your will would be done in our hearts and minds. Lord, you know each one of us. Your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your word also says that man looks upon the outward appearance, but you look upon the heart. 
So I pray, Lord, that as you see our hearts, that you will see every part and that you will show to us that which needs to be burned away, Lord, that which, which needs to be sacrificed and surrendered, Lord, that needs to be laid down, Lord. Have your way within our hearts. and We pray as we go forth into the rest of this week, this new week ahead, Lord, that your will would be done in every aspect of our lives. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.